Lorraine, you were saying that, that you have a concern about testing and what the impact would be on undocumented people in the United States. Estimates are there are 12 million undocumented people, many of whom work in construction, restaurants, some are healthcare workers, some are sort of essential list of people. And you have a concern about testing for these folks. So what is that concern? Yes, absolutely. So obviously every medical professional right now talking about the importance of getting ahead of this virus. So flattening the curve, which translates to more testing across the board, mandatory. How could this potentially come into play with this election? Well, you hear upcoming United States, you hear the Republicans, you hear the Democrats. And what are the Republicans talking about? Massive requirements across the board for everyone to have valid, proper ID identification in this country that we have to show that they... Um, before they actually come into testing. Well, this could be absolutely used as a way to out every single immigrant that is not following the rules properly, that is not properly in status, that is perhaps uh, illegal in the country. If you really look at what is being proposed right now by the Republicans and who presently are in power in the White House, it's very aggressive. And they're doing it right alongside bringing the economy back, bringing consumer confidence back. Well, well hold on. Can I, I'm going to interrupt you because I'm not getting this. And I want to make sure people that I understand it and that other people understand it. So let's, they, they want to impose a testing requirement on, on everybody. Is that the, that the deal? Correct. On every person and, and, and what does our future look like? How do we bring the economy back? How do we make investors feel more confident about making these investments? How do we, how do we bring entrepreneurs back in terms of their confidence to build their companies back? Well, you talk about how we're getting rid of the virus. How do you get rid of the virus? As per all medical professionals that are um, currently Testing, testing across the board. So how can testing be used right now also as a way with a government that's trying to look for someone to blame right now as a way to impact immigration? Well, just ask everyone to to be required to bring identification along and document. It's a way to have lists and lists of documented people. And I mean, we're talking about massive paranoia across this country as we start to get over this wave of the virus. They're talking about it potentially coming back. Can I ask a question? So somebody gets tested and somebody in the Republican Party is saying that that person needs some kind of ID and somebody's proposing that they only can get tested if they have, let's say, a driver's license as opposed to a, a matricula, which is is issued by the uh, Mexican consulates in the United States, that that person could not get tested? Anyone on U.S. soil, anyone on U.S. soil that is in six feet or less of another United States citizen is, is of, a, of, a, of a, a national policy concern now, a health concern. So if you, if you read the, the Republican rhetoric that's coming out now, if you listen to what's being said, I think that we are on the brink of immigration taking a major, majorly 
in terms of policy, aggressive turn to quite a anti-immigrant stance. If we require a, some form of valid identification and we're tracing that on every single individual in the name of public uh, you know, health safety, there is then a recorded record for, for every person in this country you can't hide. So the next step will be, well, enforcement of the immigration rules. All those people that may be violating those. Well, I think there's a documented, you said so yourself, millions of people here that are undocumented. We also have all those others that are out of status that we don't even have exact proper reports on, on what those numbers are. And I think that- I mean, there exists that potential, but like right now, presently, for example, if you file your taxes as an undocumented person and you use an international tax taxpayer ID, the IRS does not uh, give that information to ICE or any immigration enforcement. So why, why do we think, I mean, I guess, why do we think that that's going to change? I mean, it, it could only change if there was a massive Trumpism movement, I suppose. And it's interesting because the other side of the coin is, you know, there are some uh, at least the traditional Republican Party is a little bit more libertarian, a little bit less about government being in the lives of, of people. So how does that play out? Just to give you the other side of the coin, I mean... I, I mean, do you really think it's going to turn that way, though? Um, government being less involved, I think, with looking at the facts here, there's a lot of political discussions about restaurants opening, the opening of the economy and how quickly that's going to happen. And some saying, oh, yes, June... 2020, July 2020, but experts are actually saying that restaurant occupancy will not even be at nearly 70% coming all the way until 2021. We're, we're talking about people being cooped up in their homes and angry about it and looking for someone to blame. Yeah, we know that the U.S. has been completely unprepared for this medical crisis. However, we're also at their mercy in terms of quickly putting in place the processes that we need. And so they have the platform. The Trump administration has the platform. And, and let's like really read between the lines of what they're saying right now. They're saying anti-immigrant, anti-immigrant. Look at the supposed executive order, which became a proclamation. We are going to suspend all immigration. I mean, if you read it, 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 it appears as if some kind of World War II manifesto coming out. And I, I see it clearly anti-immigrant. So if you have such a large a number of, of, of Americans cooped up in their homes, dealing with homeschooling, wanting to get back to work, wanting to get back to their lives, if somebody says, uh, medical professionals say, well, massive testing, um, let's get that across the board. This is the number one thing that all these medical professionals have in common to say. Right. Uh, well, then, how easy is it to say, yeah, absolutely, and let's insert valid ID requirements and let's put more screening. So what is that going to look like? What could that look like from a Republican standpoint? What, what can we be expecting in the coming weeks? Because we know that the Department of Homeland Security, Department of Labor, State Department, we know that they're all meeting. We know that in the next 30 days, um, you know, in, the, in Trump's proclamation, he said, I'm requiring them to meet to talk about how, what changes, what further changes need to come. And what preceded that was this tweet, <laughs> this massive overall tweet. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that because I think it's important to get the information out there. 
I've had calls from clients, calls from friends, you know, are you still even practicing? I heard there's no immigration. So I think we need to talk a little bit about that and clarify what is the reality of the, of the tweak. So, uh, you know, sure. there's a couple of, there, there's some very important exceptions to that. You and I are still doing business. We're still practicing. So why don't you clarify? I'll clarify. One of them is that this proclamation only applies to people that are presently outside the United States. So if somebody from another country is here on a visa, if they're undocumented, they can still adjust their status, change their status, anything. So in that sense, immigration is still operating and that comprises a, a large portion of at least my client base and I'm, I'm sure yours too. And I know there's some other important exceptions to that. The proclamation is, is, is actually stating that there's a large number of, of exceptions um, to those that this will apply to, including medical, medical professionals, those that are in the EB-5 investor program, individuals applying for a visa, spouses and children under the age of 21, including adoptees, and also law enforcement, army professionals, Afghani, Iraqi interpreters, translators. To me, this whole proclamation is another political ploy because these people that are subject to it, <laughs> these people that are subject to it are restricted from coming to the U.S. anyway. There are no consulates that are open right now for public-facing interviews. You have to have a public-facing interview if you are coming through an employment-based route um, um, for a green card right now. If you, if you are taking those steps, you can't come in. Suspension of 60 days, we're talking about immigration on, on a month-to-month -month basis now as to how things are going to be opening up. We know USCIS is, is open. And, and running and, and the visas are going. We know that. Obviously, we're filing cases. We're, we're successfully filing them. But the consulates, no. No, no, they're not. So I understand and appreciate that there are the whole list of these, these people that are exempted, and that's just wonderful. But when you sit back and you think about it, well, these places are closed, closed for business anyway right now. So what does this really mean? What, what does this really mean? People that would be covered are people that are interviewing for a green card for permanent residents on an employment basis, other than you know the EB-5s and other that, that haven't had their interviews yet, and they weren't going to have them anyway because the embassies are closed. So, am I right, or am I missing? Am I missing something? Like a whole broad brush of immigration cases. This is for our audience: people that are marrying and adjusting their status in the United States. People that are marrying a citizen that have to consular process. They're in the exception. So, mm -hmm. a, a lot of things in the exception. People interviewing for a temporary visa, such as an E2 investor visa, an L1 corporate transfer visa, even interviewing for an H-1B. They're not covered by this proclamation. What they're covered by is the practical fact, as you said, that the embassies are not interviewing right now. He shocked the world, did he not, with that tweet? Was your office flooded with increased phone calls, emails, text messages, 
the entire floor, um, you know, of, of Wilshire, of Wilshire, which, which of course we are an essential business. So we are running our, our admin and our mail and, and so on. I mean, that, that day I, we received so many inquiries, phone calls, et cetera, hitting, you know, our home offices, hitting that office. I mean, it was overwhelming. People were terrified. What really is, you know, is the White House trying to do here? Because we know that it has very little impact if anybody, if, if any, on anybody right now, because they can't get in, these people can't get in anyway right now. So what is Trump trying to do? He's trying to point a finger. He's trying to point a finger, and I think he's giving a big hint uh, about what his stance is going to be for this election. And I think that immigration lawyers are going to be very, very busy because we have to sit around <laughs> and interpret on a moment-to-moment -moment basis all, all this rhetoric and what it means exactly. But for me, what's really terrifying here is the mixing of, of a true, absolute, imminent, continuing threat that this virus opposes to hundreds of thousands of lives across America and, and across the world. And America has the strongest economy in the world. America is the leading superpower. We're going to fight tooth and nail to keep that spot. So what is the White House going to do in order to keep that spot? Also use, I think, political opinion to keep their place in government and throw immigrants under the bus. They need someone to blame. They weren't prepared. They didn't have the infrastructure. They cut those costs, but they can't admit that. They can't admit blame. So I would say that this is a plan. And I think in the coming weeks, we're going to have a lot to talk about on this podcast because I think it's, it's going to get exciting what we're going to be hearing and what we're going to be translating. And I think it's really, really important to read between the lines and to also understand there has to be exceptions. There has to be exceptions made and there's going to have to be fierce lobbying from, you know, immigration groups, you know, like Robert that we're involved in to fight back and push back. This is where immigration attorneys are really earning their, their names now. I think. Well, so, so you, you think there's some risk just, to summarize that because there's a need for testing and tracking that somehow this data would be used to deport people somewhere down the line yes and, and where would that be where would the, like let's get down to the granular um, you know I mean we we know that all the in-person interviews are being suspended right now people are able to fill out their ds-160s which is the application that you have to fill out before you go to the consulate right now what we have on there the requirement that they that people show you know their their social media handles what more will they require they they will require then a test before they come into the country we have you know the consensus reports within the United States here what additional uh, requirements are going to be added on in the name of of public safety. I think we should get granular in painting a picture of the possibilities of what we could be looking at here and also slowdowns and processing because of it because now there are going to be extra requirements. What will those applications look like? How much will they cost? I think that will be important in the coming weeks. Flip side of that is that you want everybody to get tested whether they're documented, whether they're undocumented. You want everybody to be part of the tracking system so wouldn't you want to exempt that data from immigration customs enforcement or anybody that might use it to deport people because you want everybody tested and you want everybody tracked so that uh, you don't have any public health issues down the line? Exactly, which I think speaks of very real concern that we have. However, will the checks and balances be blurred? 
as we are collecting all this identification as people are going through all of this testing? And um, will there be exceptions made that we haven't seen since wartime where, you know, we're able to really investigate who is having this testing from outside and inside the United States? We're seeing countries across the world turning to martial law. The United States hasn't yet gone there, but we may see that, you know, if, especially if this virus were to come back and what we're hearing is that it's going to come back and with vengeance. There is already great discomfort across America regarding what's happened in terms of the, the suspension of people's civil liberties. And so to imagine that this could even be worse next flu season, what will we be prepared to do as a nation? And what could we be convinced of to do? Well, I, I, you know, to me, I think the opposite. I think you need a, a more liberal administration that's uh, to make sure that people are actually going to take this test. Because if I'm undocumented and, and I see a Trump in power or somebody that's anti-immigrant, I would be afraid to take the test. And you don't want me afraid to take the test. You want me taking the test. If I'm sweeping the streets or doing construction or doing whatever, working in a restaurant as a, a bus person or a waiter or whatever, you, you want me to be tested before I come around you and, and tracked as far as who I come into contact with. But will the instructions coming out of all immigration bodies be clear for us that it's okay to proceed from an immigration perspective with that testing? We can already see that with the extension of unemployment benefits and healthcare benefits, it's very unclear. So, um, so we have, you know, our clients contacting us saying, um, can you please tell me, I'm on an O-1 visa, I'm on an E-2 visa, I'm on, I'm on this immigration benefit. Can I go and apply for unemployment? Well, we have USCIS has said, absolutely, you can go ahead and do this, but we haven't heard from the State Department. We haven't heard from the consulates. We haven't heard across the board that it's okay to do this. One would think that if you look at statements that have already been made by at least one governmental body to provide an argument that it was okay for your client to go ahead and do this, but we have immigration lawyers in our community that are letting know their clients go ahead, do this. And then we have others that are going, well, wait a second, let's be a little bit conservative here. Let's, let's think about it. Because, because these are very practical problems that um, people are facing right now in terms of if you're on an H-1B visa and you're let go, what happens? What happens to that person? What is the employer's obligation? All those things. Those are some very real problems as the economy is facing this downswing. So for H-1Bs, for example, it's very strict. Um, you cannot bench an H-1B employee if you... Uh, lay that person off, then that person, it triggers their grace period. They then have 60 days uh, whereby they're still in status and they're supposed to be preparing to leave the country. So what would you advise uh, somebody, let's say it's on the employee side, on the immigrant side, who was just laid off uh, on NH1B? 
It's a tough call. I mean, it's a really tough call. All we can do is, is really let people know what has been said and that I'm letting my clients know at least we have some evidence that states that um, you can go ahead and apply. However, we might have to fight it out down the road. You're talking, you're talking about unemployment. Yeah, I'm talking about unemployment. What about their status? Uh, you know, someone has 60 days to leave the country. What, okay. what options do you think yeah. that person has, I guess? Pre-planning, I think, is, is absolutely essential now and not just sitting on your hands. So I do think, you know, on an H-1B, you can be, there's a whole host of other alternatives that you can be looking at that people don't think about. People tend to think about the black, black and white options, but not the more creative options like, you know, boutique attorneys like you and I, it's our bread and butter, figuring out those creative strategies. So for every case, it's going to be a little bit different. However, you got to think outside the box transitioning someone from H-1B who might not have made the lottery, there are other alternatives to be looking at. There are investor visas that you can actually transition to and not have to leave the country in order to get on those. There is extraordinary ability. We could do a whole session on extraordinary ability because there's so many myths around it. I'm advising clients to do a tourist visa. It's kind of panicky. 60 days isn't a lot. You know, I, you know, my feeling is, uh, do a tourist visa, and then you at least have six months. You can get six months on a tourist visa to figure out other options. You can go on another H-1B after that. As long as it's within a year, you're not counted towards the cap. So you might get another job offer in that six months. You could go on a part-time H-1B. H-1Bs can be part-time, even if it's eight or 10 hours a week, either for the company that's struggling or for a different company. That's one option that people can consider and, and plan out. And as, as you said, investor visa, another one. For me, at least, I'm trying to keep my clients in the country. I try my best to find every possible way for them not to have to leave. And we've been given this sort of catch-all category of special situations, and it's been defined, but yet not defined in so many areas. So, so what does that mean that we could do late filings and also talk about special situations? What does it mean that we can backtrack and retroactively look at how we can be, do, be doing people's ext ext uh, uh, extensions? Is, is the March 1st a steadfast, because we know that COVID has hit well before March 1st. So what, what is going to be considered here? I'm fighting tooth and nail for my clients to stay in. If there is still something that you need to process, you want to take the time to process it now. And what we can see from a simple tweet that then became a proclamation that then caused a ripple effect, not only in the United States, but around the world, you know, uh, you can see how quickly things can change here. So I think that the push is get in early, get your stuff in, work with your immigration lawyer.